0: Hello everyone and welcome to Surveillance Report 29, covering the privacy and security news from this past week. Today's report is being done by myself, Henry, owner of TechLore.
1: And I am Nate from The New Oil.
0: And today's episode is featuring ProtonMail, a secure and private open source email provider to make email a bit safer. ProtonMail allows you to encrypt outgoing messages to contacts not using ProtonMail, making it a fantastic option for people in your life who don't know how to use PGP. We'll have a support link below if you wanna support us by clicking the link before purchasing ProtonMail. All of your support helps us keep our content free and accessible to all of you. Find all of our other support methods as well in the description. So we're going to start this week with data breaches. Uh, Do you want to start us off, Nate?
1: Sure thing. So our first story this week, there was a data breach in the U.S. state of Washington that exposed one point six million unemployment claims. This information covered people who filed for unemployment in 2020. So obviously that was a lot of people due to last year. And it is being blamed on a file transfer application from, I believe the company is called Excellion. The information includes full name, social security number, driver's license number, state ID number, bank account, and routing number, and place of employment. So... That's obviously some really sensitive information, excuse me. Uh, There were up to 48 other customers affected, including the unemployment office. Fun fact, this is apparently the same cloud provider who was behind the New Zealand Reserve Bank attack that we talked about last time both of us did together and the lessons here of course freeze your credit
0: nice our next database leak came out of brazil which was exposed by a research laboratory this included pretty much everything about every person in brazil 220 million people this includes their full names date of births cpf as well as data of 104 million vehicles and 40 million companies the one difference is the people who conducted the research are not saying what company was responsible for this data leak There's not. It's very hard to give you a lesson from this story until we know more details on how this happened.
1: Our next data breach is from SitePoint, which does tutorials on web development, and they breached about 1 million user credentials. So we don't know too much about this data breach at this point. Uh, The tool is suspected to be from a company called WayDev, which had a security breach last summer and also happened to provide services for Teespring, who... Some of you guys may remember from my own podcast last year, I talked about they had a data breach, and apparently that also showed up in this data breach as well. So the information includes name, email address, hashed and salted passwords, usernames and IP address. Defenses use a strong password. Fortunately, the passwords were hashed with bcrypt, which is pretty much the strongest hashing algorithm we have at this point in time. And of course, use a VPN or Tor to hide your IP address. And uh, just one more note on that, SitePoint formally announced this data breach this week after the data showed up on the, the dark web forum in December. So in my opinion, that's a good reminder to not rely on breach notification. Our final data breach comes
0: from, and this is continuing the pattern of all these security tools and security firms that are actually going through their own data breaches from Stormshield. Uh, not only did they have a data breach which exposed some of their customers, but they also has a theft of their source code. Um, some context, StormShield is a provider of network security products, mostly to the French government, any tool, even if it is a security tool, if it's a privacy tool has an equal likelihood of being exposed as well. And if you are one of these companies that's relying on these tools like Storm Shield, it's important to also realize that they're also equally vulnerable and they can also add vulnerabilities to what you're
1: doing as well. Oh, but one fun fact, the French government actually switched over to using Matrix as their security that last year. Yeah, I heard about that. That's really cool. Okay, let's move into companies. So for the next six years, Google will be providing cloud services to Ford and Lincoln. So a lot of the time you'll get in a car nowadays with the newer cars and you'll have the little infotainment center. Pretty much everything you would expect to see is done there and Google will now be providing that. And to quote the article, it says, starting in 2023, the automaker will adopt Google's artificial intelligence and data analytics technology. On a similar story, Amazon is adding AI cameras to their delivery vans, and this is, of course, creating a lot of concerns about privacy. In the past, Amazon's delivery program has faced criticism over what they're calling lax security protocols. The footage can be used in disciplinary actions, up to firing. To quote the article, the cameras are equipped with artificial intelligence software capable of detecting 16 different safety issues, including drivers failing to stop at a stop sign, distracted driving, speeding, hard braking, and whether the driver is wearing a seatbelt. One driver in Kentucky said that the cameras can also detect when a driver is yawning. When the camera detects that an employee is engaged in an unsafe driving behavior, it triggers the camera to upload footage to a secure portal that is accessible by Amazon and the delivery partner. That's really sucks. And I hope Amazon will roll that back or find a better solution. Safe to you? Hey, at least it's in a secure portal. <laughs> oh, it's so secure. I don't. I don't know if you heard it, but on my old podcast, I used to make a joke every time there was a data breach from an AWS bucket that was left unsecured. I said, "Take a shot." Our next story comes to us from Apple, and I'm sure
0: if you guys know who a Face ID, it's kind of a pain in the butt to unlock your Apple device with Face ID because it doesn't really work with masks. iOS 14.5 beta is going to allow you to unlock your iPhone with your Apple Watch. Uh, so if you have an Apple Watch on you and the Apple Watch senses that it's you, it's going to automatically unlock your iPhone even if you're wearing a mask, which uh, is great for convenience. Uh, keep in mind, this isn't a perfect solution and it's probably not gonna replace the security of a, of a good password. But if you're just someone who's in a safe environment at home and you're wearing your Apple Watch, I guess there's some nice
1: convenience to be said here. A quick ransomware story this week. A company paid millions of dollars in ransom to get their data back, and then they didn't fix the problem. So this is just sharing this story as a lesson learned. The company, who was obviously not disclosed, uh, they fell victim to ransomware. And then two weeks later, they got hit by the exact same attacker, if I remember correctly, exact same ransomware, everything. They didn't learn the first time. They didn't say, how did this happen? How do we fix it? So the lesson I personally think it's important to always learn, even if it's a failure. Even if you fail at something, say, what did I do wrong? How can I do better? And, you know, not fall for this again.
0: Our final company news of the week comes from Pornhub, who is announcing biometric technology to verify their users. Um, For those who haven't been keeping up with this, uh, they have now been coming under a lot of fire for some of the content that's been posted on their website, and so they removed about 80% of their content from the platform, uh, which wasn't from verified users. So now in order to upload any video to the site, you're going to have to verify your identity by giving up your ID, as well as any other biometric data they're going to request that you upload. Uh, This is obviously kind of a hard situation to deal with, no pun intended. I mean, we're we're talking about uh, having to to verify your identification when there's millions of other sites like Pornhub that don't require this information. So uh, they are kind of getting the short end of the stick in regards to all these things that are happening. I mean, it kind of sucks if you're uploading to these platforms. (laughs) That's all I got to say. There
1: were some (laughs) excellent puns and jokes being made when I posted that story on my Mastodon. Our next category is browsers, and we're going to start today. A big theme is going to be
0: extensions and how extensions can be used maliciously to get traffic about you that they couldn't otherwise get. So this story impacted 3 million people that were infected by Chrome and Edge browser extensions that stole their personal data and redirected them to ad and phishing websites. Uh, The researchers who discovered the scam have also revealed the lengths that these extensions took to hide what they're doing. Essentially, what they did is they disguised the traffic as Google Analytics data, so Google wouldn't think that they're actually doing this. Um, It's a very clever attack, and uh, it's called cash flow. I'm also going to attach a research article below if you want to see exactly how this attack works. It's really cool. The second extension story is about an extension called The Great Suspender, which was already accused of having malware, and it has now officially been removed from the Play Store. And I know Nate's going to talk about some stories soon as well, talking more about this, but it's very important to only install extensions that are trusted and that you absolutely
1: need. So we have a couple funny stories about Chrome. Well, one funny, one not quite so funny. So the funny story is Chrome released an update this week and Microsoft Defender falsely flagged it as a Trojan backdoor. It was only Microsoft's Enterprise Defender edition. And obviously a lot of people were very concerned about that in light of the recent SolarWinds attack and all kinds of other hacks going on right now. The less funny Chrome story is that Chrome's sync feature can be abused for data exfiltration. In the event that you're not aware, Chrome has a sync feature, pretty much all browsers do nowadays, where you can synchronize your bookmarks, your browsing history, passwords, extensions, so on and so forth. A Croatian security researcher, who I'm probably going to screw up this name and I apologize, Bohan... Bojan anyways that person found that there is a malicious extension that is abusing the sync feature in order to steal information like usernames passwords keys they can even use that extension to issue commands and push malware out to the infected machine so always be careful about those extensions and personally i say just don't use chrome
0: So last week Nathan talked about Firefox 85 and how it now isolates super cookies and has many protections against that kind of thing, which is awesome. However, now another downside from this new version is Firefox has dropped support for progressive web applications. You can open Discord or Elements for Matrix or any of these platforms and you can add the application to your computer in something called a progressive web app. It shows up like a program on your system and it opens inside its own window so you can compartmentalize things inside of the web browser. Firefox has always kind of had this as well in its own little feature through SSB, Site-Specific Browser Functionality. Um, This has now been removed kind of hiddenly. And uh, people are kind of upset about that because progressive web apps are really cool. And it'd be a bummer if Firefox officially kills that.
1: I actually didn't know that was a thing. And now I'm sad that I'm finding out about that over the death of Firefox doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, it's gone.
0: Yeah. It's a big bummer. I mean, that's such an important thing. Uh, And when you read through the Bugzilla issue tracker for this, they're pretty much saying, well, not enough people use it and not enough people care about it. So we're just going to drop it because it's too hard to maintain. And it's like, probably yeah, probably because oh, we didn't know it was so a important.
1: thing. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd known it was a thing, I would have used it a lot more. All right, let's move into research. So last week we talked about how there was a bug in sudo that allows people to elevate to admin privileges, even if the user does not technically have those privileges. And someone on YouTube told me that I pronounced that wrong, and it was French, so I went ahead and looked it up, and it's Baron Samdi. I probably screwed that up too, I apologize. Anyways, that bug also applies to Mac OS, because it turns out that the latest version of Mac, and presumably older versions as well, do ship with sudo. So far, Apple has not commented, but they have been alerted to this, and... It's pretty much assumed that they're working on a patch, so if you're an Apple user, make sure that you're checking for updates in the near future. Our next research article, but pretty much it says that consumers have poor understanding
0: of data privacy, yet they think they're taking proactive steps. This survey found that more than 83% of the 1,000 people who were surveyed said they were proactive in maintaining their data privacy, However, they do not take even basic protections to protect their data, which shows a lack of education uh, without a corresponding drop in the confidence of what they think they know. Another fun stat is 64% were willing to share personal data if it makes it easier to access key services. So let's just recap that 83% thought that they were very proactive, and 64% were willing to share personal data if it uh, pretty much builds their convenience. So that's kind of the discrepancy we're talking about here, uh, which is why education is so important and talking to the people you know in real life and advocating for this kind of stuff is such an important thing because people are given the illusion of privacy. There's so much marketing uh, that's being done to convince people that they're private online. And just because you don't see what's happening behind the scenes doesn't mean it's not happening.
1: They're too optimistic. You know, they say like, well, what what good is this data? How could it be used against me? Because they're generally speaking, good people, and they would never use it for bad purposes, so it doesn't even occur to them. Okay, let's move into politics. Here in the US, first up, Amazon says the government demands for user data spiked by 800% in 2020. And just to note, processed was the word they used, so we don't know if that means they complied with it, they bought it. We, we don't know. They just, they processed it. And the second story is just a real quick note, something that should be on everybody's radar, I think, given how prominent Amazon is in the world, and privacy specifically. Famous CEO Jeff Bezos will step down. He will no longer be the CEO of Amazon. He will be handing over the reins to Andy Jesse, who is coming from the AWS department. However, Bezos will stay on board and remain the executive chairman. So, We'll see what direction Amazon moves in the future.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna build a decentralized marketplace, open source, and
1: it's gonna it's gonna be wonderful. Andy's, Absolutely, they Andy's gonna, be gonna great. start respecting our privacy, <laughs> and they're gonna end these partnerships with Ring that you're about to talk about. All this kind of stuff.
0: Hey, I mean, you said they processed twenty seven thousand, but Andy said no to all of them. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> Um, and I guess just to continue on Amazon, this is nothing new, it's pretty much a broken record at this point, but Amazon's Ring is now partnered with more than 2,000 U.S. police and fire departments around the country. There's only two states that there's nothing currently set up, and that's Montana and Wyoming. And that's really it, I mean, that's that's the whole story, there's not much more to add here. Just be aware that when you're adding something to the front of your house that's watching everything you're doing, uh, you might not be the only person who's able to watch that footage.
1: Although I will say uh, on, on the topic of apartments and rings, I used to live in an apartment complex that had signs that said like something like uh, this property is under random surveillance. And I, I've never confirmed this, but I am like bet money positive. That means that all the cameras are fake. And that's just there to like make you feel like your watch so you don't do anything wrong, but also cover us legally when something happens and the cops are like, hey, we need the footage. Oh, we don't have any. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has become the first Republican governor who is unveiling legislation to crack down on big tech. For those of you who don't know, uh, technology, big tech, is kind of becoming a political issue here in the U.S. According to Fontes, this website that we're quoting here is considered generally good, or it's close to being generally good. So, this is probably a reliable source, but... I I do want to caveat that you should take this with a grain of salt. According to the article, his proposals are that in Florida, because that is the only place he has jurisdiction, that social media platforms should be required to give proper notice of changes to their terms of service and content standards, that they should not be allowed to rapidly implement those changes, that they should provide users the option to opt out of algorithmic timelines, and that users should be allowed to sue these companies because right now the terms of service basically say you can't. He had some additional proposals which include a $100,000 daily fine if they de-platform any candidates during an election. They should have to count free promotion for candidates as campaigning contributions, and there should be fines for using the algorithm to suppress candidates. Honestly, I I think that's kind of cool. I I Again, this is just coming from this one article. I haven't read the proposal myself, but... It is good to see that the general public is realizing that maybe big tech is not our best friend. Great.
0: Our next political article, also from the US, is kind of an interesting one. So, Michigan state police officials are using encryption messaging apps, end to end encryption, which can avoid or evade the FOIA, which is the Freedom of Information Act and Legal Discovery. In short, this act is pretty much a government transparency act, which pretty much allows, like, hey, If the government's talking if if the president is talking about something to someone else this part of that conversation should be public information so people know what's going on inside the government Uh, not everything is under this act but some things are and pretty much what's going on is some of these state police officials are using end-to-end encryption apps like signal which are actually violating the foia so we can't see what they're discussing which relate to the public the good of the public um this is a very interesting issue because obviously we're, we're huge privacy and security advocates and we think that everyone should have this kind of privacy and security, but now we're dealing with a government transparency issue where these government officials aren't able to have that kind of power. Um, so yeah, I don't really have many thoughts on this. I think it's just a very tricky situation. I think that transparency is always good from a from a government perspective. I don't know if there's something to add to that, Nate, or if you had a different take on that because I know it's kind of a tricky situation.
1: No, I think you really nailed it. Like on, on the one hand, I also believe You know, governments are for the people and should be accountable to the people. On the other hand, I understand the value of security. But yeah, from putting that aside, it's definitely, uh, I, I see the pros and cons sides. It's a really interesting story. Okay, and our last US politics story is a little bit of a privacy win. So some of you may be familiar with the US city of Baltimore who recently started using what was called the Gorgon Stair and it's basically spy planes that flew around the city of baltimore for up to 11 hours a day and watched everything the program was supposed to be used to find criminals and investigate leads on cases you know if there was a crime they could go look at the footage and see who was in the area and thankfully that program has been grounded partially due to a lawsuit from the ACLU.
0: yeah this is this is a really fascinating story um these aerial surveillance systems are being used all around the country Uh, PSS, uh, Persistent Surveillance Systems, uh, is the one who did this one. There are dozens of these companies out there. Uh, I know, uh, I think Harris. Harris is another one and there's a ton of them. We actually used to, we did a reading session on our channel not too long ago where we read uh, Eyes in the Sky and it was all about this stuff and people weren't really interested in it on our channel, unfortunately. But I'll leave the links down below in the description. It pretty much recaps the entire Baltimore story and how all of this happened uh, but you should note there's a big history of this stuff just being moving just moving from city to city so it's not likely the end of this kind of stuff the the book covers all of this um the history behind these kinds of programs aerial surveillance nowadays in the US it talks about all of this and it's called Eyes in the Sky i'll leave it uh, down in the description below uh, seriously i highly recommend everybody reads that book it's just phenomenal and it'll it'll get you up to speed on how all of this works cuz no one really talks about this much for
1: some reason i don't i don't know why I don't know why either. It's straight out of Winter Soldier. We were talking about that before we started recording. It's it's literally Winter Soldier come to life. It's, oh, it's so scary. Okay, moving into international politics. Open banking has officially kicked off in Brazil. So it's a four-phase plan. And the goal, according to the article, is to make it easier for customers to compare different financial products and services available in the marketplace. Phase one, which just started this week, is banks delivering the foundations for the market to create business models and services. So I'm not really sure what that means, the article didn't really expand on that, but phase one was just to lay the groundwork. I'm assuming like the different softwares and protocols and all that kind of stuff. Phase two, which starts in July, is where participating institutions will start sharing customer data with their consent. So already you can see why we're kind of mentioning this. Phase three will kick off in August and that's where consumers will actually be able to start using this and pay bills and make money transfers outside of their bank's environment. So I guess similar to like a PayPal or Zelle kind of thing from what I understand. And phase four is still not fully uh, realized even among the banks from the sound of it. It says that it's still subject to technical discussions and it will relate to additional sharing of customer details and foreign exchange services investments insurance salary accounts so basically just a lot of financial sharing is about to kick off in brazil i think that's definitely worth talking about because financial technology is a huge thing these days and unfortunately it's something most of us have to deal so well now that brazilian data breach
0: can get some more data points next time it happens
1: (laughs) (laughs) um i like how you brought that home
0: (laughs) yeah we got to tie stories together, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that um, was that was gold. Our our next story uh, is from South Africa. I'm very unclear. I, I I've read reread this over and over, but pretty much they have banned constitute. Okay. They have banned bulk internet surveillance in South Africa. Now this article talks about how this surveillance is routinely done by agencies like the NSA uh, and the GCHQ from the UK. And it says both of which have routinely tapped into submarine internet cables, which I've never heard of that before. So, like, like, hold on to that. South Africa is a pretty large country, but there's no way they're going to be able to compete against the U.S. with something like this. And when you think of all the politics involved in this kind of decision, this is probably not an easy decision for them to make. Uh, There's probably going to be some major uh, repercussions for, for them implementing this kind of stuff. Uh, so big props to them to even attempt to take a stand against this.
1: Yeah, um, from what I understood reading the article, you pretty much nailed it is they're, I don't know if that's supposed to tell other countries stop spying on us. But yeah, they're not allowed to do it internally the way that the NSA does it unofficially the way that the NSA does it here in the US. And, and I, I know that'll probably make it harder for like the NSA and GCHQ because I know a lot of them get their surveillance from piggybacking off other people like Google Prism, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's some creepy stuff. I think the craziest thing is most of these revelations happened like seven, eight years ago at this point. So who the hell knows what's going on now? You know, like I think about that all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Like who knows? I think about that all the time.
1: And our last international our last political story, Germany's new data strategy may come too late. So this article is very subtly worded. They're they're very careful not to overtly say anything alarming, but basically the gist of it is that Germany wants to start getting into the big data analytics game to boost their economy. I do remember a couple years ago, I was listening to a podcast, I believe it was Freakonomics, and they mentioned that Germany's economy is very strong, but it is a little bit stagnant compared to some other Western countries because it is mostly industry-based and not really like technology-based. So the US, our economy is doing really well, but it's also a little bit less stable because it's so heavily dependent on technology. So Germany is trying to uh, jumpstart their economy and kind of give it a a little bit of a push, and they figure the best way to do that is to start getting into the big data game. Germany is generally considered as having pretty strong privacy laws, so this proposal will probably face a little bit of an uphill battle in, in that regard, because they're gonna have to try and figure out how to balance privacy with analytics. However, maybe I'm being cynical, recently they ruled against Tutanota, and I think you guys covered that on a surveillance report Uh, a few months ago, and I wonder how much opposition they're actually going to run into trying to get into analytics, considering that they're already kind of starting to edge away a little bit at digital privacy, so that is something we will have to keep an eye on as they start rolling that strategy out. All
0: right. And that is it for political news. We're going to go ahead and move on to FOSS, free and open source news. And we're going to start with lots of new releases. So I'm just going to go through these quickly. Just know that they're out. Alma Linux is a CentOS Linux replacement, and the beta for that is out. And uh, it's an open source enterprise level Linux distribution. Uh, It's probably not something you're going to be using, but just an FYI. Uh, the next one, Ubuntu Core Linux 20 has been released, and this is for Internet of Things devices. And then finally, VLC Media Player, uh, this is an open source video player for media on all operating systems, turned 20 today. So that's another cool thing. Congrats, and awesome stuff. And those are all the major releases we had. Um, I'm going to give it to Nate.
1: Yeah, VLC is great, man. I got turned onto that in high school, and I've never looked back. It just freaking works. It's so awesome. Yeah, all so... operating systems, too. I know, it's, oh man. Seriously, that was literally a life changer. So, we also have an article, a blog post that says, what is ActivityPub and how will it change the internet? If you have never heard of the Fediverse, or Mastodon, or PixelFed, or Friendica, or maybe you've heard of them but you've never used them, or PeerTube, I know you guys, Surveillance Report has a PeerTube, you should definitely check this article out because the so-called Fediverse is, it's decentralized social media, it's generally much more privacy respecting it's much safer and it's just honestly I love it it's so cool and this article really goes into detail over what it is how it works our next article relates to Mozilla and just so you know I'm
0: so you know the bias coming from this I'm not a fan of Mozilla's VPN service um pretty much their VPN service the way it works is they use Molvad's infrastructure it's pretty much a white labeling VPN service where uh, you're not actually using anything from Mozilla you're just connecting to Molvad servers through Mozilla's software. Uh, This is pretty common in the VPN industry. Uh, It's not even cheaper, it's the same price. You honestly might as well get Mulvad. So Mozilla is expanding their VPN now, which was previously only available in the US, UK, Canada, New Zealand, Singapore, and Malaysia. And now it's also gonna be moving into Germany and France for quarter one of 2021. So that's pretty much the news. They're trying to expand a little bit. This is Mozilla's attempt at trying to move away from the Google search deal, which makes up over 90% of their money in most years. So I guess we'll see what happens with that. I'm personally not a fan of this. I don't think that this is the right direction they should go. But, I mean, I don't run Mozilla, so that's their decision to make.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm actually experimenting with Mulvad right now, and I will have a review uh, coming probably here in the next week or two. And it's a, uh, I mean, long story short, I don't really have too many complaints with Mulvad itself. But, yeah, if you're going to get this Mozilla VPN, you may as well just go ahead. Cut out the middleman and just go straight with
0: I, I have issues with it. Actually, I was supposed to release That's a video yesterday ranting about this VPN, and I decided not to publish <laughs> it. For now. For now. <laughs> I've, I've done that before. I've written blogs, and then I've just been like, I'm going
1: to sit on this one for a little
0: bit. Yeah, yeah, just let it sit for a few weeks, and we'll see if I publish that. And leave in the comments below if you want an actual video talking about the Mozilla VPN more in-depth. Because we can talk about it.
1: <laughs> uh, so our next story is about Raspberry Pis. And the title of this particular post is a little misleading. It was later confirmed that this only applies to Raspbian OS. But basically, Microsoft's repo was silently added to the Raspbian repo list. So what that basically means is Raspbian, for those who don't know, is the like official Raspberry Pi OS There's several different ones out there, of course, but that's the one that Raspberry Pi themselves recommend. Uh, What that means is if you use Raspbian and you go to update, you will ping Microsoft every time. And the goal of that was Microsoft is offering a lot of services. They're trying to be more open source friendly. And so they're offering a lot of services that you can use on a Raspberry Pi. So they just went ahead and stuck the repo in there. So it's there as soon as you're ready to install any Microsoft services, which is of course a little concerning because as I said, now every time you run an update, it automatically pings Microsoft even if you're not using any of the stuff or plan to. Understandably, that's uh, not cool and very upsetting for a lot of people. Fortunately, it should be, based on my experiences with Linux, it should be pretty easy to just delete that repo from the sources list or if you can't do that it should also be possible to redirect it to the local host and that way it won't ping anywhere it'll just go to a dead end
0: all right our next story relates to signal the secure messenger and this has to do with users in iran who were unable to connect to signal because the government uh, has decided to censor and block all signal traffic inside of the country Uh, Signal decided, and there's actually an update to this story we're going to talk about shortly, but Signal decided to start offering a proxy service and instructions on their website for people to be able to bypass this while they work on better circumvention techniques. Unfortunately, uh, Nate, do you want to
1: cover the, the update for this? Sure, so that actually came out this morning, and as such we will be keeping an eye on it and updating if anything new comes out. A couple of security researchers went ahead and took a look at this, and they did see that This is not the best solution. It's not necessarily wrong, but it is still really possible for Iran to hunt down all these various proxies. So they tried to report that, and for reasons that are not yet clear, Signal seems to be uh, censoring those researchers, ironically enough. Uh, Hopefully it's just some confusion, or possibly Signal is trying to not publicly post this information so that Iran is not one step ahead of them. But at the time of this recording signal has not responded to any requests for more information about this and uh, we don't know if they're acting on this information or whatnot. So we have a quick story from LibreOffice and that is that LibreOffice is telling businesses to stop using the community version because they're hurting development. For those who don't know, LibreOffice is kind of like an open source, it's a free open source version of like Microsoft Office or something like that. Basically, LibreOffice offers the so-called community version, which is for individuals. It's totally free, no strings attached. Unfortunately, a lot of businesses are using the community edition because it's free and they don't have to pay for it. But that is, of course, hurting development because now that means there's potentially hundreds of people using LibreOffice that, per organization, that are not paying for it and are not paying for the licenses and the support. So... I think the story to take away here is to remember to support the projects that you use and that you like because a lot of them are probably getting shorted by businesses and they're not cheap to develop. And These open source projects
0: only exist from, from donations and support, most of them, so if you like one or two in particular,
1: make sure to donate even five bucks. It helps. All right, and let's move into Misfits. So our first story is about a malware that was inserted into an Android emulator. So an unknown hacking group is targeting the Nox Player Android emulator, which is popular among people, and using their API to redirect traffic and make users download malware. The weird thing about this particular story is that it only seems to have targeted very specific machines, specifically five users that we know. So basically, this was not a random mass Crime Spree, this was actually a really specific targeted attack. Our next misfit uh,
0: comes from the UK, and the UK has arrested SMS Bandits, which is a phishing service. So these are pretty much people who send SMS text messages to uh, a a huge amount of users expecting someone to fall for the phishing attack, which is where they pretend to be their bank or a a service they're signed up for, and these are just ways to get people to click links and give over information they wouldn't normally give. Uh, This is a form of a
1: social engineering attack. Next, we have a video that one of my uh, one of my readers actually shared with me, and it was really fascinating. The video probably could have been a little bit shorter, but it's still totally worth the watch. And long story short, years ago, there was a game, kind of like one of those games where they send you, uh, like I believe the video was even sponsored by Hunt a Killer or something like that. It's, you know, they send you stuff and you try to figure it out. And one puzzle from that game was never actually solved. It was just a picture of a guy and it said, find this man. It was finally solved recently because of facial recognition. So facial recognition has now become so easy and so prominent that one of the players kind of like remembered this old game and was like, oh, let me see if, you know, I can figure it out. And he he managed to Google like a publicly available... Uh, facial recognition database, uploaded the photo, and it instantly found this guy. So the most important or the most fascinating aspects of this video, in my opinion, the things that really had me blown away were number one, this took zero technical skill. Like this guy just did a Google search and found tons of databases. Always be careful what you put online because technology changes and what's impossible today may be an easy Google search and an upload button
0: tomorrow. Totally, and and I hate relating this to like criminal stuff because I don't want privacy to be associated with that But another good example is uh, I watch forensic files quite a bit And what they start doing is a lot of these cases are actually from the 80s and 90s Before there was DNA testing and what they did was they'd freeze a lot of this evidence And then once DNA testing came out sure enough, they started catching all these people Maybe everything's end-to-end encrypted now, but does that mean anything in ten years like Like is the end of encryption we're using right now, is everything going to be accessible in 10 plus
1: years? Yeah, that's something I I mentioned on my website when I start talking about encryption is that you should, like AES is currently uncrackable. You should just assume that eventually it's going to be. So
0: actually on the topic of, uh, I guess, criminals and DNA and all that kind of stuff, uh, an accused murderer. So this person was actually accused of a murder and they actually used his DNA testing that he submitted to something called true, it's allele, right? man my my my, my biology class better be kicking in i think that's right allele true allele man i hope it's been years since i took biology uh but pretty much it's a dna testing kit and it was it pretty much confirmed that he was the person responsible for a murder and he's been accused of it because of that uh he's pretty much asking the court to challenge the evidence and he wants to check the source code of the dna testing program now this is likely just an attempt Uh, For them to delay things and you know just to verify that it is actually in fact uh, valid evidence But either way it brings up a pretty valid point that hey Like they accused someone of murder without even knowing the source code of the thing that found them guilty We don't know for a fact that what this DNA lab is doing is actually accurate if you want another opinion so Kit Walsh is a senior staff attorney for the EFF Uh, They hailed the ruling saying no one should be imprisoned or executed based on secret evidence that cannot be fairly evaluated for its reliability, and the ruling in this case will help prevent that injustice. So I do think this is overall a good thing to happen, even if if it's for the wrong reasons.
1: Okay, and we're going to shift a little bit, and we're going to close out talking about a couple DDoS attacks. So first up, Android devices are being used in DDoS botnets. For those who don't know, DDoS is dedicated denial of service, and it's basically when an attacker will infect a whole bunch of devices. Uh, Smart devices are really popular these days, and they will coordinate all those devices to attack a single network. They'll try to load a single website and overload it and crash it. So, of course, step one of this is you have to have a botnet to do that and send all that traffic. There is a new botnet called Matriosh, that is, or Matriosh, that is targeting androids and specifically it's looking for androids that have the android debug bridge or adb exposed adb has been a problem for years for android devices if you have an android device you should check and see if you have that option if you do you should make sure it's turned off and just be aware of that androids are being turned into bots to conduct ddos attacks and finally So are Plex media servers. They are also being used for DDoS attacks. Plex servers are popular, partially open source, self-hosted media solutions. I've seen a lot of people in the privacy community recommend them as alternatives for like Spotify or Netflix so you can still stream content easily but have a little bit more privacy there. So when a Plex media server boots up, of course it scans for compatible devices and it uses a protocol called SSDP, which is Simple Service Discovery Protocol. Many routers support this option. And that means that when or if the server finds a compatible router, it basically now has a direct connection to the open internet. So a patch is expected soon, however until then, if you are in control of your router and stuff, make sure you disable SSDP. From what I can tell, I I tried to do some research before making that recommendation. It seems like you don't really need it nowadays. Uh, I guess SSDP is supposed to make devices plug and play. It's it's really not that hard to plug a device onto the network, and I would recommend just disable that at least until the patch comes out.
0: Yeah, and uh, that was our last story. I did wanna I did wanna quickly just mention I uh, I re-downloaded Balloons Tower Defense six, well, and and it's been pretty fun. Uh, I I I'm at like level level forty nine after two weeks, so it's been kind
1: of a problem actually. <laughs> oh my goodness man have you been playing at all (laughs) i have been playing i'm booting it up right now to see what level i'm on um i know i've completed all the beginner maps on easy and i've started going back through on like the primary towers level 38 so you're ahead of me all right we we gotta
0: we gotta keep up to date see what happens um it, it sucks they really rope you into it because you know you know back in my day <laughs> you used to just have <laughs> access to all the towers and now you have to play like so many games to get all like the final tiers and the like the actual
1: quality towers so yeah it's kind of I, I don't like that now they've added the monkey knowledge where you can like level up your you know plus yeah. get plus one attack and then, oh <laughs> my god yeah they've really perfected it it's so addicting now But that's all we've got this week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening
0: to the Surveillance Support. If you want to learn more about any of these stories, links are always down below in the show notes. Uh, They're going to go through GitHub because YouTube likes to to give us strikes for some of the sources, which is awesome. Um, And again, this episode is featuring our ProtonMail affiliate link, so make sure to check that out in the description if you're interested in it. And also check out the other support methods as well on our site. I've been Henry. I'm the owner of TechCore. And make sure to check out our website at TechLore.tech to see all the sweet
1: projects we're working on. And I have been Nate, owner of The New Oil. And if you or someone you know is new to privacy and security and you're trying to figure out how to get started, that is what my site focuses on. So be sure to check that out.
0: Yep, make sure to check out his site. He has lots of great stuff. So many awesome resources there. Uh, And thank you for listening and have a great rest of your week.